welcome to this episode of the Cloud Sourcing Storytelling Podcast. Host Julian Mitchell will be connecting you with guests from a wide range of different media genres and platforms. In today's episode, the panel is discussing the cloud's role in documentary filmmaking. To do that, we're joined by Rob Druitt, wildlife cinematographer and co-founder and CEO of Motion Impossible, cinematographer and DIT Alistair Chapman, and head of product Itomi Hamaba from Sony. Welcome to the Cloud Sourcing Storytelling Podcast. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Hi. another Sony's Cloud Sourcing Storytelling Podcast. And this is um, the documentary side of the cloud. I wanted to ask Rob and Alistair, you know, documentary has the high shoot ratio. And I was wondering cloud and, you know, AI, those associated technology, how would that help your area of the production? Uh, so, yeah, I mean, with high shoot ratio stuff, so one of the things I do very often is I, I film storms, uh, often hurricanes, and um, we shoot immense amounts of footage when we're doing that. But amongst all of that footage, there's some shots that we want to feed perhaps to news organizations because it's a breaking news story. So uh, having a way to select that footage more quickly would be wonderful. Um, at the moment, it's very much a manual process where you'll, at the end of your day of shooting, you'll load the footage onto a computer, go through it and select the shots that you feel are newsworthy and just upload those because bandwidth remains a big issue, especially in the storm areas. Uh, very often uh, we lose the normal connections your normal uplink trucks and things like that that you use for television news won't work in a hurricane because of the thickness of the clouds and things. So we have to rely on internet connections and very often that's nothing more than a mobile phone connection. So any process that can help you know, minimize what we upload and make that more compact uh, and improve that efficiency would be uh, really welcome. It's a little bit different for sort of wildlife area. Um, we are very much uh, looking at the footage every day at the end of the day uh, and making selects probably at that point. Uh, with our producer, it's normally with us in the field. So um, we don't really get that opportunity to maybe uh, upload much footage, uh, maybe to the executives so they can they can see at, at that point. Uh, but yeah, having the producer with us on, in the field at that point limits the need for that so much just uh, going back to alistair and rob anything at the show uh, if you got off your stands that you saw of interest for us i went and had a look at the creator era uh, for the real-time uh, graphics for um uh, for sports uh, and i understood what that was uh, enabling in that field um, i was trying to work out what what the broadcasters that are using it but it was very much i think on the a lower le level of the indie side of um, of that type of filmmaking. So, but it was really interesting to see that that is now happening in real time uh, in, in the cloud. Uh, and normally, you would normally have to have a, an expensive piece of software to allow that to happen. And it sounds like Sony have found a way of doing that for uh, multiple uh, different types of companies. Let's get back into the the meat of the podcast, and that is the cloud's use in, in documentaries. And um, two guys we have here, mostly work in the field. Rob's uh, got a, a big history of working for wildlife, natural history, 
Now let's to storms. I don't know where to put storms as a genre, but natural occurrences, but it's usually, you know, the middle of nowhere. And we concluded that this, the cloud is uh, helping, but not as much as we'd like it to help. But we see in the future uh, more help coming its way with maybe metadata proxies and a list of uh, and a list of things that um, we could talk about. So, uh, since last week, have you thought more about how this how the cloud could work for you, or, or is it the same kind of offering for uh, for documentaries, natural history type? Natural history is really difficult. Um... We are in you know, rural areas, jungles, um, on the beach, on the beach, or an island in the middle of nowhere. Um, we rarely get to even speak to our family, let alone uplink uh, any footage to the cloud. So um, it's quite a difficult situation. Um, we are always backing up our footage uh, with a mirror drive, um, and so we at least have two copies. Obviously. Uh, um, I would like to think that, you know, in the future with Starlink and 5G, there'll be more uh, rural access to to the cloud. But at, as I've seen it now, I just don't think that's happening. No, I think I'm in a similar uh, situation, really, because uh, storms uh, tend to occur in the, the more remote areas. Um, if you're talking about hurricanes, then you're often cut off from major networks. So the, the weak link still remains how you get it to the cloud. If we could get the data more easily to the cloud, it could be used a lot more. Um, I sell stock footage as part of what I do. Um, so a news company, there might be a storm happening and they might want to actually access that footage fairly quickly. Um, and if I could get it into the cloud nice and quick so that people can preview it and see it, I could possibly sell more of it. Um, so the bottleneck for me is, is that link between the location and the cloud. Once it's in the cloud, there's there's all the huge range of things that you can do with it. And one of the things that um, I've done a lot with, I've worked with some advertisers where they wanted to do stuff that's been around these you know natural extremes, and we've done uh, edits in the cloud. So once we've been able to get the footage in the cloud, we've done that edit in the cloud or at least a rough cut so that they can select the footage that they want then to license and buy from me um, and then download it from the cloud uh, and that's an incredibly powerful tool because it means I haven't got to upload the high-res files I can just upload a very small low resolution proxy to the cloud that they can edit they can go through they can choose the bits that they want so what I actually end up having to upload at full quality is greatly reduced um, so to being able to do that in the cloud is something that I've used, and that's been really, really useful as, as a tool. Um, but, but my usual issue is getting stuff from where I am to the cloud. And they tell me, um, Sony with their creator cloud, what are they thinking about with, with uh, people like Rob and Alistair in their, in their genres, in, their, in the field? How, how can Sony help? I know you mentioned about backup and insurance reasons and uh, proxies. Yeah, um, as mentioned, sending content through the remote locations to up in the cloud has been the challenge. And I guess um, for Rob and Alistair, it's been less utilized area. I mean, the cloud is less utilized um, and I think it's lagging behind 
but if I can raise one of the benefit um, of the cloud is as Julian mentioned, it's the security, you know, in the remote location, if you lose the cards, that's the end of it. But if you have something in the cloud, it's a, you know, insured security, it's a security copy of something. So in case there's accident happens, um, it's possible that you can recover the contents. So I've seen one case uh, the customer lost the card, but they have the contents up in the cloud, so they managed to recover it. So that's one of the things that, you know, that one of the benefits. At the same time, I am well aware of this, you know, lagged behind like in terms of the cloud usage because the connection is not good enough for sure. Rob and Alistair, yeah. Yeah, there's no getting over that with this type of documentary, is it, at the moment? Yeah. We'll see what happens. Uh, what, I know it's not your uh, expertise, but what about more unscripted or even reality shows using the, the cloud? Can you talk us through what theoretically that looks like? I, I'm, I, there's something I actually um, helped with um, some time ago with, uh, for a particular production that was traveling around the world. Um, and they were using one of the Sony XDCAM formats that created a proxy alongside the main footage um, as an option. In fact, a lot of the Sony cameras do that. So um, the FX6, uh, as an example, can shoot a proxy, or the FX9, a proxy alongside the main resolution file. And what these productions do, or what this particular production was doing, they had crews shooting all over the world. Um, they wanted a consistent look across all of those different shoots and locations. So at the end of each day, they were uploading the proxies to the cloud um, so that the producer in the UK could check um, the overall look of the image. Was it what he was looking for? And at the same time, could see how this story, which was taking place simultaneously in many countries, was developing. And that allowed them to really get a feel for what was going on at the end of each day in the production office and then they could guide the crew for the next day in different countries as to what else might be needed for the next part of the shoot. And they could also start the edit. And what that meant was that by the time the crews came back from all over the world or the, the shoot finished, that the edit was largely done. And then it was just simply a case of swapping the proxies for the full resolution files. Um, and the edit was finished very, very quickly for a shoot that took place all over the world. Um, with a very, very fast turnaround. And I think it was very empowering for this particular production because it was a story that was happening um, that people were aware of. And it just meant that the production company could make this documentary um, covering different aspects of the story from so many different places um, much faster than by traditional means, which would have normally involved flying the media back to the edit suite and waiting until that footage has come back before you can start the edit having those proxies in the cloud immediately allowed them to get on with that edit and finish the story much faster. I mean, presumably the uh, the proxies are good enough to finish an EDL without swapping uh, the real footage out and, and getting a getting good look at what you're getting. You know, the proxies are HD at least, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. They're HD. I mean, depending on the, the exact um, settings that you use, they'll, they'll either be you know, 720p or 1080p HD. And they're more than good enough for your edit because um, you'll be able to put your structure and your flow and you'll have a pretty good sense of the image quality. You know, if it's not in focus, it will show up in the proxies and things like that. Um, and in fact, even for television news now, we do see use of the proxies for breaking news story 
um, especially now that a lot of the cameras have automatic upload. So the cameras that I use a lot, they will automatically queue the proxies um, inside the camera for upload as you shoot. So each time you um, shoot a new clip, the proxy will upload in the background, um, dependent on your bandwidth. Um, and will you know if the bandwidth is lower, the upload takes longer. Um, but that does mean that that story can be appearing in the editor's desk while it's actually happening, and they can start with the edit. Um, and then once the you know courier or whatever takes the footage at the end of the shoot back to the edit suite, and it's just a very quick trans um, excuse me very quick um, transform to uh, finish that process and have the edit done. Sure, and that's kind of like a classic cloud user case, isn't it? Sounds to me that that was the theory. And this all began. What about you, Rob? Maybe some of your customers have are in that world, and have talked to you about that. Yeah, that, well, I suppose that for us, for Motion Impossible, uh, Motion like that, our customers are are working with movement of camera. They're working in sports. They're working in all different uh, genres, and it's some of it's live, yeah. some of it's uh, scripted, some of it's unscripted. So it's uh, a challenge for me to try and work out what is the best. Uh, solution sure. for them in the cloud for their type of filmmaking but where it, where I think we come in is more to do with the metadata where are we actually capturing uh, this content from because I feel like there's lots of avenues going forward with AR and VR and it and uh, even motion control all needs this type of metadata going forward uh, and we're trying to work out ways of being able to uh, add that to the footage so that footage can then uh, be basically uh, attached to the to the metadata and uh, once when it gets to the, the back end it, it will get um, delivered with it at the same time um, so these are things that we're working on and having a bit of a challenge with at the moment yeah and you talked before about tech viz and previs and connecting camera movement to to that yeah. on. Oh, well um so there is a, a, in our opinion there's a disconnect between tech viz and um, production where at the moment you are doing a pre-visualization of a camera movement in say like unreal or other uh, other previous tools um and then on the actual day you're asking a, a grip or or a camera person to try and copy the same type of shots. Uh, what we're trying to do is connect that together. So um, we have a, a software that we're working on called the Cineverse, which is a, a sort of a conduit tool to allow you to to do that. Um, it's not finished yet, but what that will allow is is for you to actually create these shots uh, in the cloud, and for that. Uh, data then to be uh, linked to the Agito or whatever piece of equipment that you are trying to work with in the cloud uh, for that to actually re re repeat that type of movement once it knows where it is in space. Um, we're trying to make a mini tester in the Agito, so there's quite a, quite a bit to do. Um, but with the, all the sort of tracking data that's available at the moment in different areas, uh, and, and each area has its own sort of tracking data. Obviously, you, you've seen the NCAM and, and Zeiss connection now. Uh, you've got Pixotope, you've got, uh, you've got um, Stipe and Moses, and all, all of these different companies are all working with tracking data. We can use that. Uh, but And I think that will really help the... The workflow of, of um, filmmaking and, and start to tie in you know the fact that at the moment there is that disconnect still and uh, what we hear all the time is that directors 
want to not to have to worry about that technical side of camera movement. They really want to uh, allow them to focus on the acting. Um, so the camera movement just happens, and then the acting, uh, the, you know, the, the actor can stay in their character. The actor can stay acting, uh, and all the tools and everything else around them will just basically get into place for their next shot. Um, that workflow is going to be really needed when budgets are getting tighter and um, and people's time on set and uh, is going to be limited. And it's a, a very good sustainable way of working. Uh, and I feel like that is something we really need to focus on. Uh, at the moment, we use a lots of heavy equipment, big equipment. That's you know it is old, it is archaic, and and there is a time for a change. And I think the combination of robotics and data. Uh, still not losing the creative side because that is still that is still going to be needed on the day to change the angle of the shot to to work with what we have available uh, with the actor on the day. Uh, but you can do a lot of that in pre-visualization. That creative side will go into pre-visualization instead of being in the day. So it's an in interesting times how it's all coming together. And as I say, robotics and and the tracking and and then pre-visualization tools, once they start to get together, um, you'll start to see a real tightening up of, of the workflow uh, in production. To do with documentaries, I suppose in conclusion, it's quite easy to see that it's not quite there, the cloud's not quite there for certain genres of documentary, but working quite happily with other genres of documentary, as, as Alistair pointed out. Uh, but from Sony's point of view, I suppose you just keep in touch with all these genres and see and see what your technology will offer them uh, going forward. Yes, that's what we're doing. Um, we are experimenting a lot using 5G, um, having our own 5G set up in the remote location, trying to send the materials uh, using that uh, 5G antenna that we built. And we've been successful with that kind of testing in the remote location. So hopefully in the next few years, we want to you know um, make it available to you like Alistair and Rob, so that you can test it out if that's going to work uh, with how you work. Yeah, I did see something about that and that uh, the miniature uh, self-contained 5G network, and that's uh, very interesting, I think, where that technology is, is going. Um, and again, yeah, I think it was mentioned earlier, it was things like Starlink uh, being able to use, you know, relatively low cost, it's not expensive in the grand scheme of things, uh, very portable satellite uplinks to get that data back and then when that becomes everyday and routine which isn't going to be long then things will change very rapidly I'm, I'm quite sure um it's you know it's early days starlink is still growing um all these technologies are growing rapidly there's so much we can do now that we couldn't do just five years ago so i think we're just at the the very beginning okay all right that's great i think that's a great conclusion uh to our podcast today and and thank you all very much for uh, for uh, joining us, Ed, and uh, and see you again soon. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you.